0: Jesus is real. There's power in Your name. We find hope when we trust in Your ways. We need real. Jesus is
1: real. Every time you think you got it wrestled down, something pops up again, and that's part of the human condition. And that's exactly why Jesus Christ came. That's exactly why. Because we want our own way. We want to be the source. We want to be the center. And so much of our lives as Christians is learning that it's not about what we want. It's about
0: what God is doing. What is God doing? What's he up to? And Lord, let me be content with your will, not mine. It's in our nature to keep our best to ourselves, but not in God's nature. It seems counterintuitive to think that keeping your best for yourself means you're losing something, but that's exactly what it is. Today, Pastor Daniel continues to take us through the sacrifices God gave the people through Moses. God can take our first fruits, our best, and do something even more amazing. After all, he's the reason we even have what we do. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, The Grain and Peace Offering."
1: One of the reasons we sacrifice, there has been these offerings, is to remind us that none of these things are our source. Only God is the source. And that's an important reality, isn't it? Because of the fall of Adam and Eve and them as our family, our ancestors, we all have been born with hearts that lean towards idolatry. Now, when you think of idolatry, if you've been around the Bible, you think of someone worshiping a statue, right? That is one form of idolatry. But our idolatry is anything we trust in other than trusting in the living God. And so you can imagine in the culture that Moses was living in right after Egypt that they had been slaves, and it makes sense that they would trust in their livestock. It would make sense that they would trust in their harvest as we're going to see the grain offering. It makes sense that they're going to trust in these things because that's their sustenance. I mean, how many of us trust in our jobs or our bosses? Or, 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 or. And so part of the idea of sacrifice is for each one of us to say, God, this is a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. You are the ultimate thing. You know, and I was thinking about it this week, about this idea of sacrificing, and, and we all sacrifice for the people that we love. We do. It's part of what makes love work. I got to officiate a beautiful wedding just a couple weeks ago, and it was a, such a beautiful moment when when you're reminded that when somebody gets married, you're forsaking all other relationships with someone of the opposite sex except for this one person. That's a sacrifice. It really is. And, and, and a lot of people in this day say, I don't want to make that sacrifice. But you're saying, look, I'm going to sacrifice the deepest of intimate relationships with any other person except this one person. We all make sacrifices for what we love. We all do every day. And we have to remember, as we're looking at the book of Leviticus, that this was a, a temporary system. I believe that if God instituted a Levitical style of sacrifices in 21st century America, the offerings would be different. Because by and large, many of us don't own goats or sheep, or some of you do, but not everybody. And it's not bad if you do. That's a cool, kind of a cool thing. But you wonder what would be the sacrificial system that we'd have to say, God, you're not, this isn't my source. You're my source. So these sacrifices that we're studying in the book of Leviticus are very important for us to spend time looking at. And, and remember, we've made the point that all of these sacrifices were shadows and forerunners for God's ultimate sacrifice, The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on a cross for us. That is why when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In that culture, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that was absolutely drenched in Levitical imagery. These things that we're studying. And for you and I, we know that God asks each one of us to be living sacrifices in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That we are all called to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Not my life and my plans, but Lord, what's your plans? And most of the reason we struggle with faith is we want what we want. And we've been told that we can have it our way, right? Our culture, it's like, how I? I mean, you go to a designer coffee. I want this without this including this. Listen, I, I have a high-maintenance drink. And, and, and we live in an environment where it's the customer is king. The customer gets what they want. And what that does is, when you're so used to everyone bending over backwards to give you what you want, we automatically translate that type of entitlement into the things of the Spirit, into our spiritual lives. And that's why we live in a classic day and age where everyone is creating God in their own image. My God loves who I love Hates who I hate, values what I value, and and it's not saying God, I, not your will. We're saying, Lord, my will be done, not yours. That's what we're saying. And and God asks each one of us to get to a place in our hearts where we say, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but it's not about what I want. And really, it never has been. And it was a delusion to think that I'm the center of the universe. God, you are. And whatever it is that you want for my life, what's your plan? God. And that's us being living sacrifices. We're saying, Lord, I'm letting myself be crucified with Christ, as the Apostle Paul said. We die so that the resurrected life of Jesus may be birthed in us and through us. And isn't that surrender of the will? I mean, let's be honest. That bugger just won't die, right? I mean, I'll speak for all of us, right? Our own will That thing Like every time you think You got it wrestled down Something pops up again And that's part of the human condition And that's exactly why Jesus Christ came and died That's exactly why Because we want our own way We want to be the source We want to be the center And so much of our lives As Christians is learning That it's not about what we want It's about what God is doing What does God want? What's he up to? And Lord, let me be content with your will, not mine. And I'll admit, that's messy. That's not easy, given the circumstances of our lives. It's not easy. But that is still the journey that we're on, isn't it? As the people of God. So let's jump in. We're going to see, Lord willing, chapters 2 and 3 today. The second two of the five offerings. So let's pick up in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1. It says, "When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. He shall bring it to Aaron, sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord the rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons it is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire so this chapter it it really breaks up pretty simply you have a couple of different types of grains first we just read these first 3 verses which speaks of the uncooked grains this is just pure flour Okay. So this is called the grain offering or the cereal offering. And most commentators will tell you that the, the grain offering or the cereal offering was also the, the primary offering of people who were impoverished because people who were impoverished didn't have access to cattle or to be able to buy the livestock. So flour was a much more common substance. So this is primarily a provision for the people who couldn't provide some of the other, like the burnt offerings that we saw two weeks ago. Now, what's interesting is that the grain offering, if some of you are reading the King James, it says the meat offering. And so I wanted to address that real quick. So the idea of the meat offering, it's really old English for the idea of food. So uh, if you read Shakespeare, he talks about meat. He doesn't mean, when we think meat, we think carne asada, T-bone, flank steak, pepperoni, you know, (laughs) But in that culture, meat, in Old English, it spoke of all of the food. And so, so they, the King James has it as the meat offering, but because it's all about flour and stuff, you realize, oh, no, this is a grain offering. But that's um, some of the linguistic challenge that you have there. And so, so, but notice, this offering, his offering shall be made of fine flour, verse 1, and he shall pour on it oil and frankincense. So now imagine this, you have fine flour, which, of course, speaks to us that life is in God's hands. Bread is a staple food, even still today. In that culture, grain is just that all of life is in God's hands. He is the provider. Not only that, you have oil, which is always a symbol of comfort. You think about, we read in the Bible that when someone's sick, the elders should come and anoint oil. Not only is that symbolic of the Holy Spirit, who is also called the what? The comforter. But it was also, it is something that is a healing. It, it, it brings comfort. And so you have oil, and then of course you have frankincense, which is a, uh, it's an aromatic substance. And it speaks to us of joy and satisfaction. We know that frankincense was offered to baby Jesus by the wise man. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So all of these things are offered together. Now you realize in verse two the person who's offering the grain offering, he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take it from, shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil and all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So part of this offering is burned with fire as unto the Lord. And remember we made the case about the sweet smelling aroma? That was a Hebraic way of saying it was something that is well pleasing. So, of course, we like to joke, we all love the smell of freshly baked bread. I worked as a baker for a number of years, and there's nothing like when you walk down the street when a bakery is baking, right? Talk talk about advertising, right? Because you're like, hmm, you know, maybe I'm the only one. Just follow my nose, you know? But when it says that it's a sweet aroma, it means that it's well-pleasing to God, that this offering is well-pleasing to God. But also notice in verse 3, whatever's left over... Shall be Aaron and his sons It is a most holy of the offerings To the Lord made by fire So whereas the burnt sacrifice It was all consumed Now a piece of it is used For Aaron and his sons So it's one of the ways that God Provided for the priests Through the sacrificial system For Aaron and his sons So it wasn't for everybody's use It was simply for the use of the priests And it's interesting that God's desire for the priests is that they'd not worry about how they were to be provided for. So part of the sacrifice just takes care of that. So now in verse four, it says, and if you bring an offering, a grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. So now in verse four, you get another type. Now this isn't just raw flour, or uncooked, now you have it baked in an oven. So you can imagine that somebody might just bring the actual flour, but now they're saying some people might want to be home and prepare uh, a grain offering that they actually make on their own. They bake it up, and there are some stipulations here. It says, of course, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour. So again, without yeast. So this reminds us, of course, of the Passover Seder, where you know that yeast makes bread rise. And so without this leaven, now people have always used it, it's used in the Bible that leaven or yeast is a type of corruption. We use it as a type of sin. Why? Because if you think about how yeast or leaven works, it corrupts by eating from the inside and puffing something up. So if you, know, if you ever go buy a loaf, everyone's eating Wonder Bread here, I imagine right? Wonder Bread, it's, you look at it, it just looks like a, fat, a flat piece of bread. But if you were to get some good sourdough bread, do you ever notice when you buy a good sourdough loaf, it doesn't look like Wonder Bread, right? There's these big holes in it. Why? Because the yeast that's used is so old that the yeast eats the gluten, and it makes a huge open space. That's why it's good and flavorful sourdough. But it corrupts by eating from the inside and then puffing it up. And so, once again, God says, look, I do not want any corruption in my offerings. I do not want any corruption in my offerings." And so, if you do want to bake the Lord uh, a grain offering in your house, if someone's like, hey, I just really want to give the Lord my best soda bread or whatever, he says, listen, you can do it, but no, no leaven. It has to be unleavened cakes. So, flat, flattened cakes. And then, not only that, it says, It should be mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. So what it's saying is that you could, it has to, if you make it at home, it has to have oil either in it or on it. And these are just some of the stipulations that are there. Verses five and six. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Now, this idea here is baked in a pan or griddle fry. That's what this, the, I read a lot on the commentators. So not only can you bake a loaf, now you can kind of do like a, a flash fry on it. But once again, it's got the oil involved with it and it's supposed to be broken in pieces and oils to be poured on it. Now, verse seven, we have another type here. It says, and if your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. So now if you bake it in a covered pan. So you see here, we have four or five options on how you want to do it. And and what's kind of beautiful about this is God lets the grain offering be up to the offerer. He doesn't say, I only want fine flour on its own, or I only want it in a pan, or I only want it griddle fried, or I only want it this way. You get to choose. And I think that's an important application for us, isn't it? That the way God asks each one of us to worship him is going to have some nuance and uniqueness to it based on who we are. And I think what happens sometimes is that we are so focused on how God is asking us to that we always want to affix that on everybody else because God is asking us to do it. And so there is some some differentiation about how these things are to be offered. You might say, look, I really love offering the Lord this thing. And God says, great. Someone says, look, I can't cook to save my life. I'm just going to give the Lord some fine flour. God says, great. See, it's not so much about the specificity of it. It's about the intention and the heart behind it. Does that make sense? So what I want to encourage you with that is that if you're the kind of person who would give hypothetically a grain offering that's uh, pan fried, then don't judge the person who just brings the plain old flour. You know, if, if you're the kind of person who says, look, I like to bake my bread as a loaf. That's the only way I like it. And someone else likes to fry it. Don't say, oh, well, that's really unhealthy for the Lord. Don't do that. Allow people the leeway to simply respond to the Lord as he would have. Because isn't it true? It's so easy to, to judge people for doing things differently, isn't it? We're all kind of wired that way. Because we feel uncomfortable with the differences. But I really believe that God has given all these different ways to do it because it's up to the heart of the offerer. God is happy with the offering as long as it has a few little stipulations. Now, look at what it says in verse 8. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord, and when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar it is an offering made by fire a sweet aroma to the lord and what is left of the grain offering verse 10 shall be Aaron's and his sons it is most holy of the offerings to the lord made by fire so again because we've had we get a repeat of what we already saw with the fine flour because we've got a number of other ways it's supposed to be offered the exact same way part of it is a memorial part of it is a holy offering for Aaron and his sons Very simple. Now in verse 11, No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. You shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. For every offering, verse 13, of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Now, here we start getting some stipulations to how God wants it. So, so not only is it not to have yeast and these things, but once again, he comes back. No grain offering shall be with leaven in, in verse 11. We've already talked about that. And then notice this. Then he said, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offerings to the Lord made by fire. Now, I spent a lot of time trying to find well, so what's the deal with the honey? And what's interesting is when the Bible's silent, we don't like to remain silent, so everybody comes up with an idea. And there's some really good plausible reasonings for it. One is they're not in the promised land yet, and promised land is a land of what? Milk and honey? So some commentators would say that the reason honey was prohibited was because it's a foreshadowing because they haven't come into the land yet and they're not quite there. Could be a plausible argument. Um, Some people wrote that God doesn't quite have a sweet tooth, doesn't like honey bread. I thought that was more humorous than anything else. Um, To be honest with you, I don't really know why. Don't really know why. And so, but it is an interesting stipulation. So no yeast, no honey. And then, of course, in verse 12, it starts talking about the offering of the first fruits. You shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet smelling aroma. Now, this is, remember the idea of the first fruits. The first fruits was the beginning of the harvest. And so God wants to use the offering of the first fruits as He says, look, I don't want you to burn that with fire. That's a different type of an offering. That's all it's saying here. So remember the idea of the first fruits is important once again, because when a harvest happens, we want to give God the first fruits because we realize the harvest happened. Why? Because God did it. Because God was involved in it. Because God had fertile soil. Because God had enough grain. Because God brought sun and rain. And we had nothing to do with that. We know that we're called the first fruits of the resurrection, right? Right? Jesus was the first fruit. We are the beginning of those who are being resurrected from the dead. And of course, the Bible also tells us that in the giving of our tithes and offerings, that we also should give the first fruits as unto the Lord. Now again, people get... Frustrated, we start talking about tithes and offerings and all that. But the reality is, is that any money that we can make in doing whatever we do, the reason we can do it is not because we're so smart and so good, but because God has given us breath in our lungs and a beating heart. And God has given us skills. And so that idea of the first fruits, again, but that's a different offering than the basic grain offering. And then the next stipulation, verse 13, And every offering of the grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant... Of your God to be lacking from your grain offering With all of your offerings You shall offer salt Now, salt Every single offering needs salt Why? In that culture, salt Was the number one preservative If you, if you had a piece of meat And you need it all You rub salt on it Because salt prevents decay That's the number Now, you know that Jesus said That we should be the salt of the earth, right? Now again, you put all this together, if every offering needs salt, we are living sacrifices. And then he says, you're the salt of the earth. We know that our speech is to be seasoned with salt. So again, the idea is that the words that we speak, the way that we live our lives, just like these offerings, should have a preserving agent to it. We should be preservatives, and not the bad kind that you don't want to eat. But we should be a pure preservative
0: Today we heard how leaven represents the sin in a person's life. It's not about the specificity of the grain offering, but the heart behind it. Your offering may be different from someone else's because we all respond in different ways to the Lord. It's our joy to bring you Jesus is Real Radio each day here on this station. We want to give you the opportunity to partner with us here at Jesus Is Real Radio so we can bring the ministry to as many people as possible. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. There you can help spread God's Word by becoming a monthly supporter or by giving a one-time gift. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus is Real podcast. Log on to Jesusisrealradio.com. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel explains why believers are meant to add some flavor to the world. It's part of the offering we give to the Lord. We're in process daily and can improve daily. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.